to work. So bring to mind as clearly as you can. Know what you are about to do and why you are about to do it. Let the reason, let it churn in your mind. Let it churn in your mind until it becomes a strong determination. Until you feel the passion of that determination. Let it fill your whole being, infusing your body, your mind, your emotions. Having whatever understanding you have of what the state of meditation is. Holding the importance of why you are entering that state of meditation, what you're going to do there once you're there. As if sending out a call for every part of your being to answer and to pick up. Then let that determination itself having infused your body, help and guide the body on how best to sit, to be as conducive as possible to enter the state of meditation. And allow the body to communicate to you to let you know what's the best posture that is the most conducive for entering meditation. First, have a, a sense of your immediate surroundings while holding on to your determination. And through that holding, look for what will be or what is already something that connects you to the meditative state. A sense of tranquility in your immediate surroundings. And once you find it, once you make connection with it, stay with it for a few breaths. Then staying connected with that sense of tranquility Then holding on to that tranquility now, hover, let your consciousness, your awareness sort of hover over the body without focusing on any specific parts, without rejecting any specific parts that might draw your attention. Until you feel that same sense of tranquility now, as far as the overall sense of the body is concerned. awareness, your consciousness, holding on to that determination, feeling connected to that sense of tranquility. Now begin 
by directing not directing your attention first to the legs and allow the natural intelligence of the legs to give you guidance, insight on how best to position the legs so they can be as conducive as possible to entering the state of meditation. The feedback to you will be a sense of tranquility palpably experienced in connection with the legs. And once that connection is made, stay with it for a few breaths to gain stability or to stabilize that sense of tranquility. So that grasping onto that sense of tranquility without worrying about losing it or having to let it go and just bring your attention now to the arms, the hands, the elbows, the torso, I mean uh, the elbows, the shoulders, the arms and hands. And just let your consciousness hover now over the arms, holding on to your determination. Instead of infusing the whole body with that determination, now the arms, your attention are now on the arms. And by simply holding on to your determination, the arms are being infused with that determination. And the natural intelligence within the body will guide you how best to place the arms and the hands that it will be the most conducive for you so that you may enter the meditative state. It will guide you how best to position the elbows so not to be too close, not too far from the body, to let the shoulders go Place the hands in such a way that they are comfortable, stable, so you don't need to consciously have to hold them in place. And once a palpable perception, this palpable experience of the sense of ease, sense of tranquility is experienced with the arms, then you move your attention to the torso and the back. Now holding your determination while your attention is on the torso and the back, allowing the natural intelligence of the body to now guide you on how best to position the back and the torso so there will be stability, comfort, and no need for you to consciously have to hold the back and the torso in place. And make the adjustments as the body's intelligence guides you through your intuition, 
either physical adjustments or energetic adjustments. And once there is a palpable experience of that same sense of tranquility, now in connection with the torso and the back, stay with it for a few breaths to stabilize this tranquility. to the sense of tranquility palpably experienced now in connection with the torso the stability of it should also bring forth a sense of physical self-confidence a sense of self-confidence that is being projected almost only by the physical body Then bring your attention now to the head and neck, still holding on to your determination. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Make the adjustments as your intuitions guide you, either physically or energetically, or even in terms of your attitude. And again, once the palpable sense of tranquility is experienced and felt in connection with the head and neck, stay with it for a few breaths to help stabilize it. now to the mouth, teeth, tongue, simply allowing them to stay in their natural places. of the body guiding you. And the palpable sense of tranquility experience in connection with that part should be your feedback. And once experienced, just stay with it for a little bit for a few breaths, continuing to stay connected with the sense of tranquility, the sense of ease.
muscles of your face. The cheeks, the forehead. And lastly, the eyes. So staying connected, the overall sense of ease, the overall sense of tranquility. Let that guide you as to how best to position the eyes. If opening them enhances the sense of ease, the sense of tranquility, then opening them is what works best for you. If closing them enhances the sense of tranquility, then closing them works best for you. You could also try having your eyes half open. So whichever one either stabilizes or further enhances the sense of tranquility that you are already experiencing, that's the one that you have to adopt. And the one that actually disturbs the sense of tranquility then that's the one that you should not. And eventually, the sense of tranquility pervades, begins to pervade your breath. So gently bring your attention to the breath. no intentions to control the breath, without any intentions to force your mind to focus on the breath, not even concerned about taking actions against distractions. Just simply know you are breathing in as you are breathing in. Know you are breathing out as you are breathing out. It's okay for your mind to go to your determination. It's okay for your mind to remain mindful of the progress of the sense of ease, the sense of tranquility that you've made contact with. While you are knowing in breath as it is happening, knowing and aware of the out breath as it is happening.
palpable, definite experience of a sense of ease, a sense of tranquility that is felt in connection with the body, that is now being experienced in connection with the breath. Now add to this experience, to this awareness, this intention. Just holding on to the intention, you don't have to actually make it happen. But just hold on to the intention to have the stream of your awareness remain unbroken while following the breath. So become aware of the beginning of the out-breath, the duration of the out-breath. When the out-breath ends, see if there is a gap between the out-breath and the in beginning of the in-breath. Be aware of the beginning of the in-breath duration of the in-breath, the end of the out-breath, and again if there is a gap between the ending of the in-breath and the beginning of the out-breath. So try or just hold, have the intention for the stream of your awareness to remain unbroken while it follows the breath in this way, one cycle to the next, to the next try to see if you can maintain the continuity for 11 cycles. And while you're maintaining the awareness of the cycle, have a part of your mind loosely mindful of the progress of the sense of ease, the sense of tranquility.
sudden, just the sense of ease, the sense of tranquility that you have now come into contact with. And sort of rest your rest your mind in that sense of ease that is continually experiencing, continually making contact with that sense of ease, you will proceed. That sense of ease is now as if your vessel that you're going to take a journey. So from within that sense of ease, from within the perception of the sense of ease, Bring your attention now to the space in front of you, at the level of your eyebrows. And when you have your attention there, in that space in front of you, as the looking at it through a window between the eyebrows. Still connected to that sense of ease, that tranquility. Now recall your determination, what you are doing, why you are doing it. yourself, depending on whom, depending on what infallible means will I achieve this aim. And start to feel the presence of this very infallible guide, this infallible means through which you will definitely achieve this aim. Feel the bright presence of your infallible guide in that space. And find within you the 
that measure of conviction that indeed this is the means through which you will definitely achieve your aim. Feeling that measure of conviction to strengthen it, to stabilize it. Express your reverence, express your gratitude. And completely entrust yourself in this infallible guide. trust in yourself, in the protection and guidance of your infallible guide, and feeling a palpable sense of protection. Now raise your determination, raise your willingness, whatever within you, whatever is outside of you, that obstructs you from achieving your aim, may you be free of them. The actions that you are engaging in the thoughts that you think of, the way you relate with others. May you be free of these activities. Make a strong determination to do so. And an equally strong determination to take up whatever behavior, whatever activity, whatever ways of relating with others, whatever kinds of thoughts you need to think of that will actually help you to achieve your aim. Make a strong willingness to take them up. While feeling the protection of your infallible guide. of this determination that your heart begin to have sympathy for those who are in similar situations 
become compassion, let it become love, concerning, deeping, having a deep concern for their welfare, for their happiness. And let this power, this, this compassion, this love inform further your determination, infuse your determination. feeling the momentum so far directed towards achieving success in this session. Sensing the presence of your infallible guide, right presence in front of you. Bring that presence to the crown of your head and palpably feel that presence at the crown. Notice its brightness. Its brilliance. See it as the the embodiment of the actual state you aspire to. Let the rays fill your whole being, removing whatever hesitation, whatever obstacles you may have, and filling you with all the abilities to achieve your goal.
thinking about the meditation you're about to do. Bring that bright presence that's above your head now into the center of your heart chakra, the center of your heart center. And in there, let it completely merge with your mind. of the physical breath, become aware again of the physical, the dense part of the body. I don't think I have enough. I brought this copy of, uh, you probably have heard of it, it's called the uh, Metta Sutta. You've heard of it, right? You've read it, at least, you know, one of the translations of it. There's like a hundred translations of it. <laughs> There's this beautiful website I discovered today that actually has like, I think, it, uh, 17 translations. You know, all, you know, arranged like in, a, in columns for you to compare, because you, you get different feelings from the different, uh, different uh, translations. Uh, so I brought two. <laughs> I wasn't sure which one. So you can go back to that site and then look to see which one sort of uh, grabs you more than the other. Uh, so the one that we are going to read is the one by uh, Tanisaro Biku. I've read a lot of his stuff and I kind of like his translations. And the other one is by uh, Venerable Cantipalo. Okay. And I like, I like Cantipalo's because I like the way he tries to make it more modern in the translation, especially the verse where 
what does it say? I think you removed it altogether. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not caught up in too much bustle. <laughs> Which is, uh, I think, kind of a bit more modern. So I don't have, I don't think I have enough for every single person to have one copy. Uh, but I wanted us to read it tonight, that's why I bought it. So if you can uh, share it. Okay. <laughs> so take one of each. And we are going to read the one by. Uh, Maybe we could read both at <coughs> time. But uh, the one about Tanisaro Biku is the one I wanted to, want us to, it's the transition I wanted us to, to look at. And you probably, I'm sure there's a translation of a lot of the, a lot of these things are online. You will also find that uh, <coughs> the what do you say the circumstances from where out of which this uh, discourse w was given. Okay, it was uh, during the rainy the, uh, the rainy season was about to start. The rainy season is when in, the, in it's not just Buddhist monks who do it, but it was something that all uh, actually the Buddhist monks were the last one to take it up. It was something that yogis would do in, uh, in India, uh, especially uh, yogis who would, would just wander from place to place. They would take a time uh, during the year, especially uh, during the rainy season, they would stop traveling. They would stay in one place, wait for the rainy season to be over, and then they would continue their, their, their wandering. And uh, the Buddhists picked it up because people started to complain. I mean, what's that with these Buddhist followers? <laughs> They're always wandering around, even during the rainy season. They never take a break. Uh, and then eventually the, the, the complaint reaches the, the Buddha's ears, and then the Buddha says, okay, we should now start uh, picking, up, picking up this practice of, of uh, retreating from wandering during the rainy season. Okay? And since the rainy season lasts about three months, so that becomes the... The, the amount of time people would stay in in, uh, in retreat, so they would the monks would uh, choose a, a place, a location where they would where they remain, either go to an established monastery or go to some forest somewhere and just stay there. Okay, and the people would actually go to the monastery or go to the the, the place where they know that some forest or where they know where the the monks are staying, and they would bring them uh, whatever they would need. Okay. So after that practice has been established for some time, for some years, now a group of monks decided to, uh, after they received instruction for, from the Buddha about a particular meditation, you know, suited for each one of them. So they went to the, they went to some forest somewhere close to the Himalayas to do their practice. And while they were there, the people were very happy that oh yeah, all these monks are coming over, these holy beings are coming over to do their to stay gonna stay here for at least three months. And well, you don't have to buy it, okay, <laughs> altogether. 
but take the meaning of it, okay? So there were some, uh, uh, what do you call those things? Those kinds of beings who live in nature, who, uh, who love trees. Uh, yeah. Nymph, is that what they're called? Okay, so there were some powerful, what? Sprites. Sprites? <laughs> Not the... Elves. No. <laughs> elves. So whatever these kinds of beings are called, nymphs or sprites or elves. Uh, I mean, uh, th- there's this book actually written by this, uh, I forget her name, who, who sort, of, sort of like went to children and, and, and asked, and this sort of found out that the, a lot of children have common experiences where the experience can be said to be those kinds of beings. Where they, because they're, they're pure, they're not uh, conditioned not to see those kinds of things. So they say that some children actually see them and converse with them. And then after a certain age, they lose that ability. So those kinds of beings. <laughs> so they were, a lot of them were very powerful and they lived in, in that forest where the monks decided to go to. And uh, they, they were, at first they were very happy that the monks were coming over but they thought that, and then and they saw that they were the monks, and they say, "Oh well, these are monks; these are holy beings, and so let's pay them respect." So they, since they live above the trees, so they decided to come down so they can be at least at the same level as the monks, so not so not to be disrespectful to them. But they thought that the monks were just going to stay overnight and they would leave. But you know, two nights went by, three nights went by, <laughs> a week went by. Wait a minute, they're still here. What's the matter with them? How come they're not leaving? We have them. We haven't come back to our own homes yet. We're still, you know, on the ground. So they thought that, well, I guess they're not leaving. So <laughs> I want to go back to my kitchen. <laughs> I want to know my uh, <laughs> my flat screen hasn't seen me for some time. <laughs> <laughs> so they decided to scare them, to scare them, so they could, so that they would leave. So they would create a lot of noise. They would they they. they you know, disturb every single one of their senses. They create a lot of uh, bad smell and a lot of uh, fierce visions, uh, noise, so that the monks would not med- be able to meditate. So eventually, the monks decided to say, "Well, we can't stay here. Let's let's uh, let's go to the Buddha." And because once you've decided, okay, this is the place I'm going to stay, you're not supposed to leave. So so they had to come come together, have some sort of a con con what's that called conclave. So they can make the decision, okay, we have to leave because we have to, and then explain to the Buddha why we left the confines of our uh, uh, retreat. And once they arrive at the Buddha, uh, and then they explain what happened, then the Buddha taught them this sutra. And the purpose of the sutra was for, to protect them. Okay, so after learning the sutra, then they went back to to the forest, and then they recited the sutra, not only the words of the sutra, but also thought on the meaning and tried to actually in, enter into some sort of samadhi while they were in the feeling and the, and the sentiments that the sutra was invoking. And then through the power of the sentiments that they were able to invoke through the, uh, through the, through the meditation of, because of the sutra, they subdued the beings that were there. And the beings actually not only... Uh, stop harassing them actually became their supporter and made sure that no other kind of interference would inter would, would, would uh, uh, upset them and because the place became so serene so con- so conducive to meditation uh, the three months retreat that they became uh, very very 
um, fruitful, fruitful for them, and they actually achieve a lot of uh, a lot of realizations. Okay. So what was this? What was in the sutra that was so powerful that subdued the beings who were once hostile and all of a sudden became your protector and becomes your uh, benefactor? So uh, the first one, the one I want us to read, uh, the whole sutra is called Karaniya, Karaniya Metta Sutta. Okay, this is in the Pali language. Okay. Uh, metta is close to uh, the Sanskrit mighty, which where means like uh, uh, there are so many different translations of it. Like he translated as goodwill, and Kantipalo translated as loving kindness. Okay. And it's because the word love itself in the West has so many uh, meanings. There's a worldly meaning and there's a spiritual meaning. So not to have any kind of uh, uh, a connection with the worldly meaning of love, you know, what, we, what we have to qualify as uh, selfish love or uh, uh, things like that. Okay? So that's why a lot of translators don't like to use the word love. Okay? But you can use the word love if you can... That we don't use the word love in, in uh, with those, we understand what context we mean here. Okay. So the Buddha notice the Buddha didn't say, oh, those the spirit thinks they can mess up mess with my monks, huh? <laughs> so I'm gonna teach. I'm gonna give you a, so a weapon to go annihilate them. Okay. <laughs> that wasn't the thought of the Buddha. But the Buddha gave them something that was practical. He didn't say, oh no, come on, you can deal with it, make use of the noise, don't think too much about the stench. No, the Buddha gave them something that was practical that would actually resolve the, the situation. It was a solution. It wasn't just, you know, think this nice thought, you know, uh, that will help you with your meditation. Okay? Practical advice. Okay? Alright, so we will read this once, sort of get the gist of it, and we will go into, uh, go, go into it in terms of how to make use of it, practically. Okay? Alright, so we'll read it together. Uh, remember the one by uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu. Okay? Alright? Everybody reading together and so forth? Alright? This is to be done. Yeah by one skill in aims, who wants to break through to the state of peace, be capable, upright, and straightforward, easy to instruct, gentle, and not conceited, content and easy to support, with few duties, living lightly, with peaceful faculties, masterful, modest, and no greed for supporters, do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later censure. Think, happy, at rest. May all beings be happy at heart. Whatever beings there may be, weak or strong, without exception, long, large, middling, short, subtle, blatant, seen and unseen, near and far, born and seeking birth, May all beings be happy at heart. 
Let no one deceive another or despise anyone anywhere or through anger or imitation wish for another to suffer. As a mother would risk her life to protect her child, her only child, even so should one cultivate a limitless heart with regard to all beings, with goodwill for the entire cosmos, cultivate a limitless heart above, below, and all around, unobstructed, without envy or hate, whether standing, walking, sitting, or lying down, as long as one is alert, one should be resolved on this mindfulness. This is called a sublime abiding here and now, not taken with views, but virtuous and consummate in vision, having subdued desire for sensual pleasures, one never again will lie in the womb. Very nice, huh? <laughs> in the Theravada tradition, uh, this sutra is uh, sometimes taken as a practice into itself, or they just recite it, like the whole thing as a mantra. They recite it over and over and over again. And there are some uh, practitioners, lay and ordained, who make this their central uh, practice of the entire, of the entire practice. Where they recite the sutra and think on the meaning and trying to cultivate the the sentiment that the, the sutra is, is uh, invoking. Okay. Uh, remember the sutra, the, the why the sutra came into existence. The sutra came into existence as a response to some people feeling hostility, and they want a response towards for the hostility. Hostility. Okay. And so this was supposed to be a practical solution f f uh, f for that. Okay. Um, let me think, I'll, I will relate to you. Uh, I'm not quite, uh, I'm not quite uh, exact on the details. But it's supposed to be uh, uh, in one of the earlier lives of the Buddha, he was practicing this under a tree. And he practiced it for long periods of time until he actually, uh, w you're supposed to practice this until you actually, with that sentiment, use it to enter into samadhi. And while you're in that samadhi, then you take that sentiment and you c begin to suffuse the world with it. And there are many different kinds of methods where you either first have that sentiment towards the whole world and you use it to enter the samadhi and you stay in that samadhi while you're sensing that you're having, you're sort of embracing the whole world, all beings with that sentiment. Or you first have that sentiment towards yourself and then you enter into samadhi with that sentiment for yourself and then you begin to, then within that samadhi you, you, you suffuse the world with it. Now, the reason I'm going to relate this story to you is because then, so what? You're able to enter into samadhi where you're meditating on love. What, is it, what does it do? What's the practical, uh, uh, what's that, practical application. application, something other than practicals? What's the, 
What was that? Benefit? Useful, useful, uh, 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 useful use of this. Okay. Uh, so, uh, this, well, this will be a bit, you know, okay, it's a story. I'm not sure if it's right or wrong. It's kind of uh, too mysterious, but just get the gist of it, okay? So there was this, uh, the Buddha in his previous life uh, was doing this meditation under, under a tree. And a lot of that that I did remember, boom, boom. <laughs> a lot of things happened, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so the king of this particular uh, uh, area, uh, uh, through some situation, uh, some uh, came to uh, meet this, uh, uh, this yogi who was meditating under the tree. And I think the king was looking for something. Well, anyway, I forgot. <laughs> this is the, that's not the important part. The important part was the monk, this uh, yogi was meditating on a tree, uh, just doing this meditation. So he was entering into samadhi and then just staying in samadhi and sort of using the world with, 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 this, with, with love. And the king came, and the king uh, asked the yogi for some for uh, a fruit. And then uh, for something sublime, okay? And the yogi pointed to the tree under which he was meditating. It, was a, it, had, it had a tree. It had a fruit. And the fruit was renowned to be the worst tasting fruit on the planet. And then he offered that to the, to the king. And you know, the king sort of hesitating to, no, this is the worst, I know, everybody knows this fruit, and people stay away from it. Maybe it's... Uh, <laughs> What's that? What's that again? Stinky. Some, some people durian. Well, some people will argue with me. <laughs> it's actually the most sublime fruit on the planet. <laughs> but you know, if you don't like durian, think of something like durian. <laughs> okay, but not only smells bad, but you know, well, some people say it just has a strong fragrance. <laughs> but you no, know, tastes uh, but tastes awful. Okay, and and he offered the fruit to the king, and the king, you know, out of respect for the yogi, decided to you know taste it just to prove to the yogi that you're wrong. Okay, but after the, when the king tastes this, and they, no, I remember the king wanted to wanted to know what to do so that his kingdom can prosper. Because I'm starting to remember a little bit. Okay, <laughs> so. So what has this got to do with my kingdom prospering? So he, he, he tasted the fruit, and he, he was surprised to find that the fruit actually tastes like it was the best tasting thing he's ever uh, had. And he had another one to verify that it wasn't just some accident that this one fruit was, and then it was also incredible. And then when he asked uh, the yogi what was going on, the yogi said, all I did was sat under the tree and made it on love. And the, the radiation of the love affected the tree to the point where the fruit of that tree, it's supposed to be the worst tasting fruit on the planet, became the most tastiest, the tastiest uh, thing you can have. And he told the king, if you just made it on love, if you just consider your subjects with love, your kingdom will prosper. Okay? So, well, they never actually, the story didn't continue with you know, the king going to his... Uh, <laughs> During to his kingdom and during, whether he followed the instruction or not, and then wow, and then in history books you find out what was the most prosperous kingdom on the planet, or it was that, oh, that was the king who went to that yogi. Well, it, we're not going to be able to verify it that way. <laughs> but the, the, as the story goes, 
the thing is, uh, with all the commentaries on, the, on this kind of meditation, not only is the meditator benefited from the, from, from the practice, but also your immediate surrounding is also affected by it. With this story, the tree becoming a, a, a sweet uh, food-bearing tree. Okay. And according to uh, the list of benefits that the Buddha says, now this isn't just you know, uh, somebody who, who has, uh, um, what do you call that? When you, want to make, when you want to make a distinction between the actual feeling, practice of love, and then just the, what you call, it, the, you call it the mere sentiment of it. Okay, just to make that distinction, okay? So not just having some, sense, some kind of sentiment of love, but actually use it as a practice, and then you're, you are so uh, focused on it that your mind becomes so suffused by it that it actually induces samadhi. Remember what samadhi is, right? Okay. That you actually, it actually induces samadhi. When you're in that state, okay, now you can think about some of uh, how some of the benefits that the Buddha talks about actually can, can, can be uh, actualized, can actually be experienced. And I'm going to go back to the most fantastic and then to the one that is not so fantastic. The most fantastic one is that, uh, I mean, as far as we are concerned, there's another fantastic one, but it's not so fantastic. <laughs> it's that you cannot be harmed. You cannot be harmed by poisoned. You cannot be harmed by weapons. You cannot be harmed by human beings. You cannot be harmed by non-human beings. Okay. So you become. Uh, oh, I'm trying to find an adjective for this. Harm not no. Harm, not able to be harmed entity. Okay. What was that? Invincible. Yeah, good. That's good. I like that one. Very powerful. <laughs> you become invincible. Okay. No, uh, it's it's interesting how. Uh, uh, I mean, even now, uh, unfortunately. Uh, well, that's too sad. I'm not gonna go there. But when uh, when you watch those uh, those kinds of movies, and then you see uh, warriors. They want to become invincible. They want to go out in the world into the into battle where they're not where where weapons cannot harm them. And then they they, they do these incredible stupid things that don't work. Or or, or maybe you know if it's some sort of a, 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 some sort of a legend and they find something but there's a flaw. <laughs> okay, there's a, a, a some weak some weak some weak spot and make sure that doesn't happen to you. Like you know like make sure you. I don't know. Don't eat at 1 a.m. or something like that. <laughs> 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 okay, no matter how hungry you get, something like that. And yet, uh, even even in those legends, in those stories, there's, it's never quite really invincible. And yet, there exists an actual method where you can become invincible, where you can actually become incapable of being harmed. Uh, you, you've heard the, uh, there was, uh, it doesn't, it's not here anymore. Wasn't there a tanka where the, showing the Buddha reaching enlightenment? No. Surrounded by a halo of roses and flowers? No, we don't have that. We don't have that one? Okay. Yeah, I guess not, it wasn't here. Uh, you, 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 you've heard of the story when the Buddha was uh, under the Bodhi tree about to reach enlightenment, and then he was attacked by the demons, and 
the demons hurl all kinds of weapons at him. And then but once the weapons reached uh, his aura or his, uh, his, his, uh, his field, that they became flowers. And they just became like a rain of flowers. And there's a lot of kind of explanation for them, but the one explanation is that what the Buddha was in the samadhi of love. And because he was in that samadhi, he could not, he could not be harmed by any kind of weapon, whether it's poison or, or arrows or even bullets. Well, we haven't tried bullets yet, but <laughs> I haven't heard of that one, but I'm sure it probably is also. Okay, so that's like the, the, one of the benefits that is mentioned that comes from when you're in the samadhi and that, uh, of love. Okay, you cannot be harmed. But when you come out of samadhi, you can sort of understand these other kinds of uh, how the non-harming can also continue. So not only when you're in the samadhi, but when you come out of the meditation, there has a, a, an after effect. Okay. And the after effect is that you're no longer uh, uh, subject to bad dreams. It, and it says you go to sleep happy, you wake up happy. And of course, while you sleep, you sleep happily. Okay? So you go throughout your day centered, unable to be disturbed by extremes of negative or extremes of that becomes attachment. Okay? And, and when you're in the company of others, because you're radiating this stuff that they can't see, but they're affected by it, they feel happy in, in your presence. And because of that, it said that... Uh, uh, human beings uh, befriend, uh, 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 befriend you. And uh, the, the devas, the, the, the bright beings or the angels uh, or the, the non-human beings become your friends and they surround you to protect you. And what's happening is that you uh, enter into, you actually transform your body. It's like, you know, you take a shower. <laughs> and imagine you are filthy, stinking, and people don't want to. People don't want to be close to you. People stay away from you. And if you approach someone, they might even throw rocks at you. So, okay. So the devas, you know, uh, are very sensitive to uh, what is called your body of morality. And unfortunately, for uh, uh, most of us, our body of morality stinks to the devas. And that's why the devas stay away from us. That's why it's difficult for us to see devas. Maybe that's why children are able to see those kinds of beings easily because they're not as uh, spoiled as we are. Okay. So, uh, so just like you, when you take a shower and you smell nice, you say, mm, it smells nice. Okay, if you want to approach me, they want to sit next to you. And imagine, oh, not imagine, probably this happened to you in the train. Some homeless guy comes in. I mean, it's very sad, but it's, it's you know, it's not, it's not what you may want to do. Sometimes, out of compassion, you maybe force yourself to stay there. <laughs> and they haven't showered for months or years. And they probably, you know, haven't, well, they don't smell too good. And as soon as they come in and they sit there, and you see people slowly leaving the car. Okay? Slowly leaving the car. Okay? So in that same sense, uh, the, the, those beings that we don't see, they're called angels, I mean, that's how we are towards them. We just naturally repulse them because of our, the body of, what you call the, our body of, of, um, of ethics, of morality. Okay? 
So when you become moral, ethical, the devas are attracted to you because there's, a, there's what you might call a, a definite physiological change that takes place within you. That's why uh, you, you, you become radiant to others. Okay? Something happens, something like that happens to you. So because you're radiating, you're glowing, the devas are attracted to you. They're like, you know, the, the devas are like, you know, what's called the thing? Fireflies? No, not fireflies. Moth, attracted to, 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 to light. Okay? So, and then being attracted to this bright, radiant thing, they will want to protect it. Okay? So that's how you will naturally have protection from the devas. Okay? So, in, 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 so you can sort of understand it in, in a, I don't know what kind of expression was that, but that, whatever category of expression that was, that sort of explains it. Why the devas will naturally, will naturally protect you while they hang around you. Okay? They're just attracted to you. Okay? Because you're now you've changed yourself in a subtle way physiologically. Okay? So you can say there's a different vibe about you, you radiate a different kind of energy that sort of uh, makes it, even if someone has uh, evil intention towards you, when they enter into that whatever feel, however, however far it extends, they change. They cannot help it but change. Okay. Um, another story, very quickly, that when the Buddha was once traveling and Devadatta was, was his cousin, was jealous of him, Devadatta let loose a crazy wild elephant towards, to, to go towards the Buddha. And then when the Buddha saw the, the elephant approaching him, the Buddha entered into that meditation. And as the, the elephant got closer and closer, the elephant started to be subdued, more and more subdued. And when the elephant arrived exactly in front of the Buddha, the elephant bowed. You know, the way, the way you know, the elephants bow when they're well trained. Okay? And how did the Buddha do that? Buddha entered into the meditation on, 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 on compassion and on love. Okay? So now, we are going to... I want to see if this is true. <laughs> <laughs> I want to experiment. <laughs> is it true when you enter that, into that meditation, and I'm, I'm, I, can, I can actually see the lab, the lab where some yogi enter to meditation, okay, now fire, and somebody shoots a gun at them and see if the <laughs> Because there's supposedly another story where a cow uh, who just gave birth and felt so much love. I mean, if you, have, if you are a mother, you can, you, you can understand that. Because I've, I've, I've sort of, can, I've seen it when, uh, when uh, people just give birth. And then there's this incredible love that they have for this, for this other that makes them feel like, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm, one friend told me, I feel like I'm going to go crazy because I love this person so much. Okay? So this cow was so in love with this, uh, what do you call it? Cow. Calf. That a hunter threw a spear at the cow, and the cow wasn't even uh, aware of it, and, the, and, the, and the, the spear was deflected. Somehow, oh, force field. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow there was this force field around the cow, and, and then it deflected the, the spear. That's why I want to do an experiment with a, with a gun. So if, it's just, if, it's, if it's all medieval weapons, or <laughs> can it also be used with any modern weapons? <laughs> Drugs with a gun and a bazooka the next time, and then a grenade. And <laughs> I don't want. I don't think we're going to try an atomic bomb because. Uh <laughs> but in a laboratory safe setting, we could use a gun and a bazooka. <laughs> so 
So one of you may be chosen to be the subject, okay? <laughs> okay, so my experiment. Uh, so there's an actual method, the, the, actual, the, the Buddha actually say, give the method here. But, you know, since it's kind of cryptic for us, because he was speaking to very advanced meditators, so they sort of, you know, got it like that, okay? But for us who are not so advanced, so we need further commentaries. That's why all the commentaries comes in, explaining this, okay? Okay, all right. So we are going to, what we are going to experiment with is, even though we're not able to, in, not all of us, maybe some of you, maybe, maybe some of you, maybe able to enter into samadhi with this, but even uh, uh, in some sutras, they say even thinking about immeasurable love has positive effect. Okay. So we are going to get into uh, immeasurable sense of love, and we are all going to direct it. And we're going to listen to the news to see if it actually if it did something. It may, may not have been powerful enough to do some like you know. To make to make uh, flowers rain and people, people in the news say, oh, this incredible thing happened, this freak thing happened over this place. All of a sudden, it started to rain flowers. It may not be that, okay? But we will hear something positive happening over there, something enough to make the news, okay? Not in some village somewhere where there are three people living there and then no cameraman, no newspaper over there, and then 2,000 years later we oh remember that village? Those three people live. All of a sudden, that thing happened. We all, we, we, we want. It won't be good enough for us. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, for me, spiritual path has to be practical. Why? Because I am really suffering. <laughs> and I want, some, I want to experience a real relief from suffering. Okay? Even if it's in my mind, in my mind right now, I am suffering. And I want to somehow remove it from my mind where I'm no longer suffering. Okay? If it's a projection, if it's an illusion, whatever it is, whatever its nature is, I don't care. I am suffering. Okay? I'm having an illusory suffering. I'm having a mental suffering, whatever you want to call it. That's my experience right now. And I want to do something where I'm no longer having the illusion I'm suffering or the mental projection that I'm suffering. I want, to, I want the state out of it. Okay? So the, the spiritual path must be practical enough where it removes the illusion or remove the mental protection, or whatever you want to call it, okay? Whatever you want to call its nature, okay? If, if it's not practical, if it's just something else to add to my suffering, I don't want it. You know, some sort of philosophy, some sort of thing that just sounds nice, but it's just taking space in my mind. It's not really doing anything to what, 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 as far as my suffering is concerned. I don't want that, okay? So, this thing called love, <laughs> and if you enter into samadhi with it, it's supposed to have this kind of effect because, you know, I have to tell you sometimes, you know, I don't sleep well. <laughs> if this can take care of my sleep, okay, at least it, it can do that, okay? And, and uh, so happy you sleep, happy you wake, happy you walk around, and uh, you're, not supposed, you're not supposed to be harmed by, you're not supposed to be harmed, especially by humans or non-humans, um, things like that, okay? Uh, did I explain that to you? Well, sorry, one, one little diversion. <laughs> when I first encountered this, I was very young. I didn't quite have a teacher yet. And I was very uh, drawn to this, to practicing it. 
and I have to say, I didn't enter into any kind of samadhi with it. But I became somewhat obsessed with it. But I did, and this is the, the experience I want you to have. I mean, it, it might be just my illusion. Okay? Maybe I'm the only one having this illusion because I want it to, to happen. Okay? And I want you to also experiment with it and then see if it, it also has the same kind of effect. I was in high school. Okay? I mean, and think of, remember when you were in high school, nobody believed you, whatever you said. You could, you could, you could be looking at somebody, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's a, you see a snake about to bite them, you tell them there's a snake bite about to bite them, because you're oh, a high school kid. <laughs> okay. So, I remember uh, one morning, I did this meditation, and throughout the day, a lot of incredible things were happening. I mean, I mean, Incredible things for a high school kid. Uh, I left my bus pass at home. And at that time, it was um, probably some of you are not old enough. You know, when I was in high school, what, what was popular to do was to, what, what's that called? I forgot what it's called. You don't get in the bus, you get on the bus. You know what that means. <laughs> While the bus is running, you jump and grab it. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what we used to do. They have the name for it, I forgot. Okay, but I didn't want to do that. <laughs> and someone else, uh, a few kids got in the bus and they forgot their, their bus passes and the bus driver told them, get out. And they gave all kinds of, uh, of explanations and the bus driver didn't want to allow them in there. And I got on the bus and I told the bus driver, I lost my, I don't have my bus pass. He told me, get in. I mean, right before me, he told the kid, the same kids, get out, with the same story. And with me, he told me, get in. So what's going on? And also, something happened in the gym. There was some sort of, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> the high school I went to, uh, the gym was like the scariest place to go to. <laughs> Not because of the jocks and the, the, the because it was a, really a place where people would just fight. You know, meet you in the gym. That was the expression. <laughs> it wasn't to play basketball. <laughs> that day, there was some sort of fight that started, and I remembered specifically somehow my mind went back to this practice, and I sat down and I did this practice. And almost like all of a sudden, the fight stopped. I mean, it could have been just coincidence, okay? <laughs> but, you know, I need little proof that make me continue the path. Let me have the, let me have the, uh, <laughs> let me have the thought that it was actually because I was in this meditation that it stopped, okay? Because the fight was happening right by me. Maybe they was confused. Why is this kid doing, <laughs> being still, not running away when everybody's running away when this fight is going on? But they just stopped. Okay. And other kind of strange thing happened during that day also. Right? But there was like, uh, this is the kind of uh, thing I'm, co I'm considering proof that not only does it affect you, but it actually affects your immediate environment. And if you're actually able to enter into samadhi with this, maybe you might even do more stuff. Okay, and that's what that's the, that's the maybe the experiment in numbers might be able to do. Okay, so 
Where would you, what would you like to focus on? Let's vote. Well, what part of the world would you like to focus on to, to stand this, uh, uh, this um, blast them with love? Syria. Syria. Okay, we have one vote for Syria. Anybody second that? Or anybody would like to, no, another place? Tibet. 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 Okay. Would somebody say something else? I second Syria. You second Syria. We got one Syria. They got two Syria, one Tibet. <laughs> Tibet. Tibet, two, two Tibet, two Syria. Come on, people. I'll third Syria. You third Syria. Anybody else want to vote? Syria. Syria. Four for Syria. Five for Syria. Okay. Well, we can do Tibet some other time. <laughs> but no, we have to practice this thing called democracy here. <laughs> okay. So we're going to focus on Syria. Everybody, please. Even though you, you might want to focus on someone else or someplace else that might. But just for now, for the, for the sake of this experiment, let's all focus on Syria, okay? Okay, so what are we going to do with Syria? So where, where it says happy, I mean, uh, think, happy at rest, may all beings be happy. So instead of saying may all beings be happy, we're going to we're going to say, we're going to substitute with Syria. Or may all Syrians be happy. Okay? And don't, don't choose which Syrians are supposed to be happy, which Syrians are not supposed to be happy. Okay. <laughs> all Syrians. Think of it in a sense of, uh, like, if you see someone uh, misbehaving you know, uh, in a destructive way. Okay? Say, tell yourself, oh, it's because this person is not happy. That's why this person is doing this. If that person was happy, the person wouldn't be doing this anymore. Okay, think of it this way. Don't think of, of, of happy, of may they be happy as, oh, well, that person doesn't deserve to be happy. Okay? Think of more in terms of, if that person was happy, that person wouldn't be doing that. Okay? All right. So we're going to substitute may all beings be happy with uh, may all Syrians be happy. And, and let your mind sort of conjure up uh, however many Syrians you can think of how many Syrians you've seen, and just have a general sense of Syria. You can even think of the, that artificial thing that they call the border. <laughs> you can think of you know, the shape of it as Syria, and really, really think of it as not just a blob on a piece of paper, but you know, really think of that's, the Syri that's Syria, these are all the Syrians. Okay? The, this group and that group. Okay? So, so may all Syrians be happy at heart. And we're going to skip to without exception. Okay? May all Syrians be happy at heart. Okay? And we're going to do the next, next one. Let no Syrians deceive another and despise anyone anywhere. And through anger, or, or through anger or irritation, wish for another Syrian to suffer. Okay? I think that that's, that should be enough there. Okay, we don't need the, the, next, the next lines. Okay, so that's what we're going to say. But when you say, may all Syrians be happy, really have that wish. Really have that uh, uh, sentiment. 
have that. Uh, which one? Okay, just the wish is just I'm going to take right now. Okay? Really have that wish. Now, the happy at rest is supposed to be you. And a very uh, quick way of being able to, for you to feel happiness, because you can't just say, may, all, may they all be happy and then not have a palpable understanding, not have a palpable feel of what it means to be happy. So just visualize yourself smiling, visualize yourself happy. Okay? So just like you're feeling happy right now, and then because you're feeling happy right now, you're not feeling the need to go do something destructive, okay? <coughs> because you're happy. So in that same way, may all, so the happy at rest refers to you first. So you're supposed to do the meditation and feel love for yourself first, but we're, gonna, we're not going to do all that. That will take some time. But we're just going to experiment. So first, see yourself happy, visualize yourself smiling, and then Feeling that happiness, you're going to say, ah, this in the same way, may all Syrians be happy at, at heart, okay? Without exception, may all Syrians be happy at heart, okay? Let no Syrians deceive one another or despise anyone anywhere or through anger or irritation wish for another Syrian to suffer. I would like to include the other one because of the sentiment at the whole, but it's too many, too many words. It might you know, take you off this, the, the purpose. Okay? You become just mere recitation rather than meditation. So you got it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So feel happy, and then feel that happiness. May all Syrians be happy at heart, without exception. May all Syrians be happy at heart. Let no Syrians deceive one another or despise anyone anywhere or through anger, irritation, wish another Syrian to suffer. So you got that? Okay. Yeah, we can keep looking at it for a while, but if you remember, okay, but remember, it's not the words that's important for you, it's the, the, the exercise and exercise in memorization to see if you can remember the lines. The, mem- the exercise is in having an actual sentiment of love directed towards them. If the pure energy of love is felt, then you can dispense with the words, may, 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 may. The, the words are supposed to invoke that emotion. Once the job is done, let the words go. And just stay with that emotion and infuse all Syria and all Syria with that. With that, okay? Right. We got, uh, well, 14 minutes. Okay. So first have... Recall the sense of tranquility you experienced before. So you want to begin from that from that place, and the sense of uh, okay, I'm about to do work, practical work. And just recalling the sense of the the experience of the tranquility as soon as you taste it through the mere recalling it. Try to stabilize it by observing five cycles of breath. And once you you stabilize it, some sense of that tranquility, then either have a sense of well-being for yourself, sense of being happy, or see yourself smiling. 
and then begin. You can even, if visualization helps you, you can visualize yourself sort of hovering over Syria. And, and when you feel the love, the love becomes like sun, uh, becomes light, physical light, and it's radiating over Syria. And if there's any individuals in Syria that you know of, that you've heard of, that you can sort of visualize, you can see them being bathed by that light.
communicate the merit of this meditation. Slowly become aware of the physical dense body. First through the crown of your head, then include more and more of your body until you're aware of the whole body from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. Also for animals, uh, oh yeah, definitely. Other kind of yeah, yeah. I mean, the first example was with non-human beings. It affects them, and there was the example of the cow. Uh, wha- one of the after effects of this meditation, and you start to experience it little by little, little by little. But once you've actually able to experience samadhi with this meditation then you, have, you enter what is called uh, mm, uh, mm, perception of the beautiful. That is, everything you see appears like the most beautiful thing in the, in, in, in the universe. Okay. That's one of the, uh, what do you call that, side yeah. effects? <laughs> Side effects. 